and it is Jesus who makes today glorious. Good morning, I'm Wilfred Jack, your announcer, and welcome to the Echoes of Calvary with Senior Pastor Robert Elliott of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. This morning, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2 in a series entitled, The Best Christmas Gift is Jesus. In today's lesson, we'll see a number of things, including the details surrounding the Lord Jesus' actual birth, much about his ultimate death, and about our need to leave room for him in our hearts and in our lives. Now here's Pastor Elliot. Well, a very blessed Christmas season to each one of you, our valued listeners. We are working our way verse by verse through the Christmas account as recorded by Luke in chapter two. And I'd like to dive into today's thoughts at verse four. And Joseph went up also from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There are several things that we ought to see in these particular verses. Uh, the first thing there in verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, the translator translated the concept engaged. Um, it was really betrothed. In the Jewish culture, you were betrothed to be married. Once the man proposed marriage, the woman accepted the proposal. They didn't come together and have a wedding ceremony except for one year passing. The man was apart from his fiancée, building a home for them to live in after marriage. She stayed with her family, was learning further how to be a wife and mother, and uh, preparing her dowry, as it were, getting uh, basics in line with household items and so forth, to be uh, able to uh, come together with her husband in a marriage ceremony to uh, come together physically to consummate that marriage. So the, the year between acceptance of proposal and marriage ceremony and then living together was a year's time, was betrothal. And so during that betrothal or engagement time, she was found to be with child. Now, of course, that would have been greatly disturbing to Joseph. He would have assumed that she was sexually promiscuous and was uh, with child because of some other man she was with and he was going to write her a bill of divorcement. Well, it was a divorcement in the sense of a Jewish idea because they were considered married when they were betrothed, but they weren't ceremonially married until a year later. So discover that your fiance was unfaithful to you in that one year period of time. In a Jewish mindset, you needed to write a bill of divorcement. Of course, an angel appeared to Joseph and explained in a dream to him that the child she was carrying was by the agency of the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous birth. It was to be the savior of the world she was carrying and would give birth to. And so he didn't write her that bill of divorcement and he accepted what was to be certainly a, a controversial 
and uh, a situation, let's say, where he could be made sport of. Uh, people who didn't believe in the miraculous could, you know, basically tease him for um, having a fiance who had a baby not by him and uh, so forth and so on and calling Jesus by very mean names. But he signed up. He, he was in the will of the Lord. He knew it. And he didn't write that bill of divorcement. And he uh, tenderly cared uh, for Mary, keeping her a virgin uh, until Jesus was born. And then later they would have their marriage uh, ceremony. So here in verse five, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child six. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first born son. And she wrapped him in cloths. They were here. They were. They had shown up for the census in Bethlehem. There was uh, no rooms available. The hotels were full. If they had bed and breakfast, they were full. There was just no place for them to lay their heads until a kind and, and a benevolent uh, inn owner said, we have the barn in the back and, you know, they can sleep there if they want. And they were glad for that. And so she gives birth to the Lord Jesus and uh, doesn't have anything but simple cloths to wrap the newborn baby in to keep him warm. And uh, she laid him, Jesus, in a manger in a cattle feeding trough. Not exactly sanitary or fancy, but that's what she had and that's what she used. And that whole phrase at the end of verse 7, because there was no room for them in the inn, just reminds me of... Um, how the fact is that, that some Bahamians have no room for Jesus as Savior. They, they're too busy. They're too proud and too self-important. Um, they're too superstitious. They leave the, you know, the whole thing, the religious thing with their parents uh, to be good for them. And um, they walk away from the childhood training they had in Awana or Sunday school or church. And, you know, that was they see a childish thing that they don't need to give any place to as adults. Um, so the danger is that there could be no room for Jesus in the end of our hearts and lives today. Trust that isn't so for you, listener. Trust that you have given Jesus uh, authority in in the throne room of your heart and life and mind. Now, the other thing I'd like to point out is in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths. I believe that was a foreshadowing of Jesus' death by crucifixion. He was crucified, of course, at the age of 33, and they wrapped his body in cloths, which was the typical burial protocol uh, that they then came, the women were to come back the next Sunday morning to anoint that body, to pour perfume and spices on those cloths that wrapped Jesus' body in the tomb. Of course, they found the, the cloths were uh, empty. Jesus' body had resurrected and um, they were folded. The gospel says they were folded neatly on the burial bed. But I think the fact that the author notes that, that baby Jesus' newly born body was wrapped in cloths was a, a foreshadowing um, of what would happen to his 33-year-old body after he was crucified for our sins. In 2008, we united for the dynamic Christmas production, The Baby King. 
in 2012, we came together again for the Easter song. And now another four years have passed and we are uniting again 10 local churches to reach our world with one story. Bahamas, make plans with your family and friends to attend the 2016 United Christmas production, Tell the Story. Join us as we tell the story of Christ's birth through music, lights, and drama. Opening night is Sunday, December 18th, continuing on the 20th, 21st, and 23rd at 7.30 p.m. nightly at the Christian Life Center on John F. Kennedy Drive. Admission is free. So save the dates. December 18th, 20th, 21st, and 23rd. United Christmas production, Tell the Story. Come and experience the heart of Christmas. Sit back, listen up for a short Christmas devotional we'd like to share with you. This Christmas devotional is by Dr. Howard Hendricks, who served as the chair of the Center of Christian Leadership and a distinguished professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. The verse is Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Our Western world is turning out the lights, refusing officially to acknowledge that God rules the universe. A spiritually dark age seems to be descending over once Christian North America, a peaceful and a prosperous culture sinking in violence and deepening despair. While shadows deepen here, peace and hope rise across the globe. Travel with a missionary to a formerly pagan hideout deep in Asia's interior. With eyes and hearts blinded by Satan, the tribe knew only ritual animism, the annual sacrifice of a young girl, sometimes a boy. For centuries, a four or five-year-old was dressed up, celebrated, and then placed on a stone altar. The witch doctor slit her throat and decapitated the child, poured oil over the head, and set it afire all in order to appease the spirits of their ancestors. Every year, a young man in the tribe watched with deep revulsion. And then the day came when the elders chose his own little girl for the quote-unquote honor. Undercover, he fled with his daughter six kilometers away to a larger village to hide her. And there some people told him about God's son, the supreme sacrifice for sin. He trusted Jesus Christ, but his own tribe began experiencing terrible mishaps and decided it was because this rebel had disobeyed and escaped. They tracked him down and poisoned his food, but miraculously nothing happened. God protected him, and he became a godlike figure to the tribe. Through his testimony, the light penetrated their darkness, and today an evangelical church exists where the light of life is preached. With shadows of death lurking all around us, it is imperative that we profess with boldness the proclamation of the saving gospel message of the life of Jesus Christ. And thank you, Pastor Rob, for that devotional. Today's Help for the Hurting segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. That's Triple C located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you'd like an appointment or more information, dial 
7000. That's 323-7000 or email the Counseling Center at cccbahamas at gmail.com That's cccbahamas at gmail.com And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Good morning. I'm very pleased to have in our recording studio this morning uh, three colleagues from the University of the Bahamas who have training in the matters of counseling. I have uh, Professor Anastasia Forbes. Good morning. Good morning. Professor uh, Vicente Roberts and Dr. Suzanne Newbold. Good, Good morning, morning, everyone. Good, Good morning. morning. To you. Thank you. So thank you for being here. This morning we want to address a very uh, important topic that is something that faces Bahamians uh, of every walk of life, and that is depression. And of course, sometimes depression leads to suicidal thoughts or actual suicide, which is so sad. So I'm going to talk to our friends about these needs, and they will bring some light to bear on depression and suicide. What would you say to the thought that a Christian comes, shows uh, symptoms of, of clinical depression, and the pastor says to that person, I believe that you could be depressed. I think you ought to go to see a, a psychiatrist, a medical doctor who works with uh, brain and thinking. Uh, and you may need some uh, prescription to help you with your depression. What would you say when that Christian says, but I'm a Christian, I can just pray through this. And in fact, I, I don't need a doctor or a psychiatrist. I believe that uh, depression is a physical illness. Mm -hmm as well as any other type of pancreatitis or diabetes. Mm -hmm. And we are able to get help for those illnesses. And most people don't pray their way through diabetes. Mm -hmm. they, they take what is prescribed, whether it's tablets or insulin. And the same, I think, is true for depression. They need to have... Uh, help in that way. You know, sometimes they have low serotonin levels right. and they need to get those elevated or they might just need antidepressants mm -hmm. of some form. Yeah. And so I would encourage them to go and follow whatever the doctor is prescribing to get the help that they really need. Right. Um, I'd like to add from the perspective of how we assess this issue of depression. There are several tools that we use. Some of them look at thought patterns. Some of them pick up issues of physiological, cognitive, and emotional issues, and it breaks the depression down in that way. So that when we do our testing, we're actually able to say where the depression is locust. Mm -hmm. Is it a physical manifestation? Is it an emotional manifestation? Is it a cognitive manifestation? Mm -hmm. And we do the same thing in a therapeutic intervention. We may want to deal with an irrational thought. Or the physical has to do with the medication or a behavioral kind of thing. Or we want to deal with the emotion and getting them to ensure that they are uh, identifying the feelings appropriately. Yeah. There's also the environmental factor yes. that can also contribute. And sometimes just changing those <laughs> environmental factors can get a shift. Context. So as, as Mr. Roberts has just indicated, you have to look at 
the underlying cause that might be contributing to the situation. Yes, and uh, biblically, it would seem that in Ephesians 5, when we're commanded to be angry, but yet not to sin, not to let the sun set in our anger. And I've learned uh, over the years um, that the depletion of those brain amines Mm -hmm. that cause clinical depression can be accelerated by holding a grudge, Mm -hmm. by being unforgiving, Mm-hmm. And so forth. Let me switch over to, to a, a something related uh, in the matter of uh, suicide or, or thinking about suicide. Um, if if you are carrying on in your family life and uh, a loved one in your family is 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 behaving differently to what's normal for them, and they they say to you, "Well, you you know, I'd I'd be better off." Uh, you'd be better off without me. Or, you know, I'm going to give away this uh, T-shirt because, you know, I, I don't have a need of it. Um, what, what would you say to someone that is, is showing some evidences that they're, they're very low mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're wondering if, if living is even worthwhile? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'd like to start the discussion on that and my colleagues can pick it up. Suicide is an attempt really to solve a problem of intense emotional pain. Um, We start there because, again, of the problem-solving issues and the issues of thinking through cognitively what's happening. If they're able, they've made, um, Stacy referred to learned helplessness, if they've made several attempts to address a problem, to communicate it time and time again, and they don't feel understood, and they get to a place where they've tried and tried and they continue to do so, and they still no understanding and they find no relief to that problem. They may think about um, harbor thoughts of, um, well, I can solve this problem by ending my life. When that thought is allowed to e- exist, because we can start stopping thoughts and, and replace them with, with scripture, you know, unspeakable joy, uh, joy forevermore, and those kinds of things. So it just, we we have to find a way of appreciating that uh, there are some problems that we can only solve on the surface and we need may need other people to help us to solve those problems. So that family member is being approached and given the opportunity to join in helping me to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And so we need to appreciate that initially. So, Robert, as we listen to what you just said, there would be three pivotal things <laughs> as we think about the concept of death by suicide. Yes. It would be... There is a problem. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. And this problem is causing intense mm-hmm. pain. emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And the third is the lack of or the impaired problem-solving skills. Yeah. There's a deficiency there. Mm-hmm. And so with that combination, it, it has a right platform for death by suicide to take place. Yes. Uh, is there any legal ramification if uh, a person comes, uh, talks about killing themselves, um, what, what is, are the obligations, both legal and ethical, in that? If an individual is talking about that, we are legally and ethically obligated to report it mm-hmm. and to 
ensure that this person gets the proper help and to create an environment of safety to try to scaffold, have a good emotional scaffolding around them yes. so that our life could be preserved. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, of course, individuals um, follow through and actually do kill themselves, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And they leave behind loved ones, yes. spouses, children, mm-hmm. grandchildren, um, what what are some of the issues that survivors have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on on the the person who commits suicide, their age. Because sometimes adolescents are the ones who, who complete the act. Sometimes a husband or a wife may do it. Uh, we've had incidents in this country where mothers have actually driven their cars overboard with all of their kids. Um, That means that the father, whoever the father is of that child, is left Mm -hmm. having to deal with the death of the mother as well as as the kids. There's tremendous guilt because there's a feeling... Um, by the relative that's left that was there something that I can do they entertain that thought Um, did they reach out to me did I do enough to help them in any way Um, could I have prevented this in one or the other depending on the responsibility of that relative in other words am I responsible for this child am I responsible for this adolescent if they if they if they feel that they're responsible for that child or they have responsibility for the adolescent for instance then there could be an an even more sense of of guilt and uh, because they may feel listen did I take care of my responsibility and we'll pick up from here next time sit back listen up for a short Christmas devotional we'd like to share with you. The title of this Christmas devotional is My Advice This Christmas. It's written by Dr. Charles Swindoll, Chancellor of Dallas Theological Seminary. 2 Peter 1 verse 12, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. If I may borrow from Charles Dickens' famous opening line, Christmas can be the best of times and the worst of times. We have them both, don't we? Who hasn't cringed in September as stores drag out and display the artificial Christmas trees? Who hasn't felt uneasy about the obligatory exchange of gifts with individuals you hardly know? Something about those annual experiences can make them seem like the worst of times. But I prefer to view Christmas as the best of times, This is God's annual reminder to us, in effect, feel the warmth in all the lights, smell that tree, see those gifts, hear those songs, my son came and died for you. The things familiar are reminders of things essential. I will always be ready to remind you of these things, the Apostle Peter wrote, even though you already know them. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Isn't that great? We need regular reminders of essential truths. In the Old Testament, the Lord used tangible objects and actions as memory triggers, phylacteries on the forehead, special food at Passover, stones beside rivers, and trumpets for the new year. The sights, sounds, smells, tastes, these seasonal traditions 
reignited the passions of God's people and reminded them of His love and His commands. Christmas can do the same for us. You string up the lights, you trim the tree, you wrap the presents, you attend a Christmas Eve service. It's all familiar. It's just words, just lights, just a tree, just gifts, just songs. Wait a minute. Remember that Jesus was born of a virgin. Don't forget how the angels lit the shepherd's field with God's glory, announcing the birth of a savior. You and I needed a savior, one who would and could die for our sins. My advice this Christmas? Allow the traditions of the season to stir you up by way of reminder. Allow the things familiar to point you to things essential. Don't miss them. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <laughs>